Welcome to the Space Cave, the universe's number one podcast. Um, if you live in the Los Angeles area, particularly east of Los Angeles, near Pomona, this Wednesday, August 15th, there's a little thing called the pageant, otherwise known as reputation. It's 14 queens going against each other. That's right, drag queens. I'd love for you to go and support our friend, friend of the show, Evie Stones, at the end There will be but one standing. And hopefully it's our friend Evie Stones. So that's at 340 Nightclub in Pomona, Wednesdays, starting August 15th. Goes all the way until like October. So if you can't make this one, hopefully you'll catch one uh, as it goes along. And good luck, Evie. We're all rooting for you. Okay, here's part one with some Mammoth Brewing beer. Mammoth Brewing Company, northern part of uh, Southern California on the eastern Sierra side, the Inyo Mono County. And it's with someone you may know. If you listen to the other podcast I'm on fairly regularly, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Here's part one with her husband, Daniel Quantz. Uh, just watching you like rub your eyes and talk about like, <laughs> oh, I wouldn't take a bath. <laughs> Not that it seems like misery, but it, yeah. that great thing where you're like, oh man, did my, I don't know how that my psyche, that my whole body, like as a whole, the energy that you're expelling yeah uncharted right there's a uh <laughs> there's a guy who you know i did that pin the um the lapel pin yeah eat a, eat a bag of dicks the eat a bag of dicks and i don't know if he's a listener or if he's just a, a guy who's in the industry of lapel pins who found me uh-huh. uh he sent me it was so cool he said his, his like i think his business is like nerd pins or something like mm-hmm. he has like so many and they're all funny like pop culture things and one of them is uh, Obama looking just like, like, and it just says dad tired. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, oh, that's funny. And then it was like four months later, I'm like, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Dad tired is a thing. Yeah. Dad bod and dad tired. And when my, <sighs> my previous dog was getting old, you know, the, the feeling of like just hearing claws, just, yeah. just a little bit on the floor, I'd be up like, what is it? What do you need? And then I was like, oh, that's just the smallest dose of what it must feel like to have an infant or something in the other room or at the foot of the, wherever you're keeping them in your crib. Uh, there's that like, what was that? I used to be such a, a sound sleeper. Like I could sleep through anything. My mom used to shake me when I was little. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was the same. And I couldn't, and she wouldn't wake me up. She'd be freaked out. That's mm-hmm. how, you know, now I'm such a light sleeper, you know, it's completely changed i can't sleep eight hours if i wanted to i don't i'm ruined (laughs) all the things they say and i i think you get to a certain age where you start being like i think they're right about everything your metabolism is going to change you're going to have less energy this is going to happen i know and then the other ones that start happening are like uh like peeing is going to be an issue whether you have to get up and pee a bunch in the middle of the night or the pee just takes forever or whatever it is i just i just passed the sign on the freeway that says pee problems you know five miles because it (laughs) definitely coming up 
I know. Uh, I don't want, and I don't want the, I'm suddenly up at 5 a.m. The part that I do kind of get excited about is like, I think it'd be fun to know a bunch about World War II, and that seems to happen. <laughs> you definitely get to know more about World War II for sure. Yeah. You'll know all the golf scores. <laughs> you just start to know them. My dad's starting to do that. Never cared for golf at all. You, you watching this golf? Yeah. Every time I talk to him, you, you watching this golf? Like, no. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah, these guys, it, got, it sucked me in and they're making some great shots. All right. I know my dad is always texting me uh, little tidbits about, or like just things having to do with sports and college sports and stuff. And it's just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't have time anymore. I think sports are something for young people and really old people. I think they're going to be a constant in my life. I've tried to like move away from them a number of times. I think it's just such a tremendous waste of time. But then I think they're really necessary because I just need, like when people, remember like Boys in the Hood when like uh, Furious D like, He's just sitting there. He's always like got those two balls in his yeah. hand that he's moving around. Yeah. I think it's the need for like, I just need something to chew on that's kind of temporary and ephemeral. Sports yeah. is that for me. I have it on in the background, but like, or I'll read a bunch of crap about it, stuff that like is so inconsequential that I'm like, this is so dumb. But then when I'm not doing it, I feel like, okay, well, I read a book or I went and exercised. I know yeah. there's things that I think are like more valuable. And yet I still have 10 minutes and I don't want to get involved or invested in anything. Sports yeah. are perfect for that. For me, it's, it's um, it, I can't do it casually. And that might be the, the yeah. reason why I don't. Because mm-hmm. it's like, I get, I get like way too into it without even wanting to. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I don't like how it... I don't know. There's a part of sports where it starts out, you just like a sport and you like a team. Yeah. But then it becomes, yeah, but you don't like the other team. Oh, yeah. It's not enough to just like your team. You have to hate, you know, like I'm an Eagles fan, you know, but it's like, oh, you also have to hate the Giants. You have to hate, or or like I went to USC, so I have to hate UCLA and I have to hate, and I don't know. There's too much division right now. I don't like the feeling of... Uh, how it I don't know the tribalism too much of it in my life anyway I uh, I had that a little bit with sports and then I recognize kind of I think it's still there I, but a lot of it has to deal with coaches if I think they're like yeah evil people or something or just it's easy to hate people. on the people yeah yeah, yeah. Like, I like nothing against the players or their open. fan base oh yeah let's open up these open uh, the brews. Yosemite Pale Ales from Mammoth Brewing this is a hard one to get they're Ooh. not really distributing far and wide yet but I think you'll like it I'm gonna so you have to be in the region I think so I think it's just kind of it's a, made with alpine water yeah that the sounds best delicious water. spring water from the eastern sierras in yomono county God. oh that's my that was a pretty good that was job. perfect well yeah. you're practiced at this here let me see if i can get it hold on oh even better <laughs> <laughs> well done yeah nice oh yeah here i gotta get the pour here. yeah mine didn't make a lot of noise i was expecting Can't get it the to. noise yeah this the good thing about this Yosemite Pale Ale it pours real quiet. You don't hear it pour at all. <laughs> old man on a porch, boy. This this it doesn't wake up anyone in the neighborhood. Are you a silent alcoholic? This is the one you're gonna want. <laughs> you can be in any room in the house. No one's waking old, up. Old lady up. in the bed behind him, like still sleeping. He's like, <laughs> trying to. Oh man. Um, yeah, this is nice. Yeah, handcrafted. Well, I'm gonna let the foam go down a little bit. I really foamed it up. Then I've tried this beer, so yep. I'm I'm a I'm a little. Usually I haven't when I have them on the show, but every now oh, and again. Oh, so we're through. This is uh, this is uh, one I can recommend. I've never had it on the show though. Never talked about it, and I feel like the few times, and I'm sure there are a number of people listening. 
uh, for sure, Bruised by Don, who is oh, an Allison fan, and yeah. then uh, uh, listens to the show, or at least he tweets that he does, uh, and a beer guy. I don't think we always, maybe the episode where he sent in the beer, we referenced it. I don't remember. Oh, yeah. But like I, a lot of times you'll have beers at the show. And that's, you know, like, hey, we're, we're podcasting, having some beers, but just gauging on the type that you frequently have around. I was like, I think this is the one you'll like the most. How's the beer brewing going? I know that that was a struggle. Too hot right now yeah. for our setup. We don't have a great, like, um, I guess you'd call it like a humidor almost, like an ability uh, yeah. to keep the temperature steady. Oh, so you have to keep a, a microclimate? <laughs> I think so. I think you just don't want it to fluctuate too. I don't know enough about brewing, but I do know uh, when it gets this hot, there are only certain beers that can like ferment at this temperature and not get really God, I read something. about uh, what they're predicting is going to happen to California wines mm-hmm. and how delicate the climates have to be, you know, for the oh, grapes yeah, yeah. and how that's all just going to get wiped out with Ah. with global warming and oh, how man. sad that is I just watched Sour Grapes story of this guy Rudy I can't pronounce his last name but he was the one I remember hearing the story when it was happening like there's a guy and his palate's so good and he yeah. like, fakes wines and he sells them to the richest people in the world and then they're starting to catch on to him and no one knows who it is and I remember hearing that story and be like that's amazing good for this guy like yeah. he's pulling it off <laughs> and then they finally got him and the story is pretty fascinating uh, but I, I like the wine culture. I do like wine and stuff, but I, yeah. and I like that side of it, the vineyards and the people growing the grapes. I feel bad that like the temperature would screw them up. Oh yeah. I mean, I feel terrible for them. I, I love wine culture. You know, in that I like wine Yeah, and I like to drink wine mm-hmm. and I, and all of that, the part of wine culture that I don't like. And I think this has changed a lot in the last maybe 10 years. It used to be like kind of a snooty collector's world yeah. where you collect the wine and it's like, this is something to drink. Your wine's supposed to be, you know, a lubricant for social, yeah. you know, whatever. And, um, and what good is it if you're not appreciating it with somebody, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, it seems like it's gotten less uh, pretentious. In more this documentary it, just showed like there's still that group is still alive and well. People right. have way too much money and don't know what to do with it, and they the way they clink glasses and use their stupid lingo and they're just ah, laughing this is, and laughing. This is really good. You into it? Yeah, I like it. You can really taste that alpine water. <laughs> mm. It's all in the water. My mom was just in town and she was telling me about this article she read, which is always fun when parents have read an article mm-hmm. to tell you about because they I think they assume that it's a much bigger thing than it usually is. And uh, it was all about how people in Silicon Valley, maybe, or Northern California somewhere are paying top dollar for unpurified, unpasteurized water, meaning just like water straight from the river. (laughs) And that they think that it's better for their immune system or whatever. And is that a thing? Have you heard of this? I mean, we, so we have this uh, old, old, old cabin up in the mountains and uh, we have to like go and hook up a spring to get gravity fed water. It's awesome. But the first hour is just like letting the faucet run because it's just disgustingly dirty. Right. And then it settles itself out in the sediments out of it. But even when it's clean, you can pick up a glass and like look at it in the sunlight and there's stuff in there sometimes. You're like, oh, that's just- That's the good stuff apparently. Bits of dirt and little bits of bacteria that- I suppose uh, from the earth and all the impurities. Well, I think out, you know. Good. Could it be the same kind of thing as all the other, you know, homeopathic whatever? I just get yeah. Into? Who knows? I mean, if there's a perfect way to to eat the right nutrients and minerals and all the right uh, caloric intake from wherever you're getting yeah. your your 
even then, like, you're still at a risk of just your body not operating correctly. Yeah. So I think oh, I have perfect water. It, it makes me, I just think it's so stupid. The air we breathe here in LA right. is just ridiculous. It's getting worse too, it feels like, but because of the heat. Yeah, yeah. Feels like the pressure is pushing down on the, on the air more. But um, would you do that thing? I think I saw Bill Gates do it, where they turn like poopy water into fresh drinking oh, yeah, water. Drink it, yeah. You drink that? Yeah, there, there's uh, this toilet that uh, I think Dean Kamen, my guy, who invented the original Segway scooter, and then he invented like a prosthetic arm, the Luke arm. And he invented for, Segways in uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In just general conversation, yeah. he invented both versions of the mm. Segway, and he made this thing called the Slingshot toilet which is supposed to be like uses your own biological waste as a little bit of fuel to then clean the bowl and also dispose of the waste and the byproduct is clean drinkable water so in the future there's this thinking that like you won't have to waste all that water there'll be no more flushing it'll just so this is for like extreme post-apocalyptic scenarios yeah or just a really efficient i mean if you have a planet with 10 billion people and you're trying to or if you're a doomsday prepper yeah you could put it in your bunker yeah i would drink it I once I wouldn't make a habit out of it and like go shopping for it, but I would. Yeah. I trust science enough to be like, yeah. I tr- if they're saying because there's that thing where yeah, uh, it's perfect- more the idea of it. Isn't it, remember the thing where the the guy takes it's maybe a, a jar, maybe it's a couple liters, mm-hmm. and he takes an eyedropper of urine and just boop puts it in there. He's like, does anyone want to come up and dr- I'll stir it around? Does anyone want to come drink this? And the class goes, oh god, and he goes, just so you know the percentages of the water you typically drink in like a 12 ounce version have a higher concentration of urine if you're drinking public water than this. And you, it, there's something yeah, about seeing psychologically, it. It's so psychological. Yeah. Oh man. So I would do it. I, I would do it in extreme circumstances, but I don't know that I would volunteer to do it, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a, actually it's funny, the urine thing, I can get my head around a little bit easier than the, than the feces that's just too much i can't i i'm thinking about bear grills like uh draining the elephant poop into his mouth you know know. and it's just like nah i I, can't i don't always understand the threshold between the things like if our bodies are 80 percent water yeah what percentage of beer is of water 99.999 so how why doesn't it hydrate you better what that little i think about that alcohol it's so bizarre well like coffee it's just like a tea essentially yeah you know it's water mm-hmm. so why can't i just drink coffee all day they say oh no it's going to dehydrate you but it's like it is hydrate <laughs> yeah. it's hydra i don't know what the word is you know what i mean like it's water yeah i think i i, I don't know who to get in touch with there to, like yeah. probably a chemist or something no like, one knows actually probably <laughs> A lot, of, lot of actual ultra marathoners <laughs> hydrate with beer and wine and whiskey God it's all damn. it's it's mostly water <laughs> those ultra marathoners man that's intense yeah do you have any interest in doing that sort of thing never well i used to jog i mm. loved it i got up to like i could do like eight hour or eight hours <laughs> just <laughs> jog for eight hours no eight miles and i would do that every uh, couple days and uh wow. it was great i'd come home from i was living in um san just no, West LA, Santa Monica, kind of. Mm-hmm. And I'd get off of work and I would jog to the beach and then jog up the coast as the sun was going down and then jog home. And it was just such a, a great way to end the day. I was in, you know, great shape, felt great all the time, but it was murder on my knees and my hips. And at one point I couldn't get into my car anymore. Ooh. You know, I couldn't like bend my body. And apparently I was just wearing bad sneakers. I had no idea. I just started jogging. I didn't have a coach or anything. Yeah. And at the very end of all of this, like after months of training and everything, 
and I couldn't walk and someone's like oh yeah you're like uh, pronating or whatever supinating and it's like you know your shoes aren't compensating for that so what's happening is like your you know your ankle joint is putting your shin at this angle and that's meeting your knee at this angle which is going at the wrong angle at your hip so it's all like this chain effect of of fucking your body up and uh, but it took me weeks to to recover and then by the time I got back it was like all of that progress I could barely get it you know two miles out of it and then uh, I just stopped I dream of like getting back to it so you know but I would never do a marathon I'm not I, I think it's more just for my own, like that feeling of being in such good cardiovascular shape and having that stamina and the, um, I love the psychological sort of thing of there's like this training of your mind where you're, where you're just moving forward, mm-hmm. you know? And in life I found that, you know, you're, you're on the road and you're jogging and it's painful, but you're just going to keep pushing forward. And it kind of put me in that state of mind in my life of just, I'm always, I'm, you know, just like I'm making progress one step at a time, one block at a time, Yeah, you know? And, and so I was getting stuff done, you know, it was like I was leading my brain along, you know, <laughs> and I kind of want to skip back to that. Dude, I think that's why people do it. Someone, I did a, a, like a question episode a while ago and someone asked, you know, why I did a marathon or if I would do another one. And that was a big part of it. That, oh yeah. You know, we, you've envisioned yourself like, wouldn't it be great if I were this person? But then day after day, you're not that person. And then you need a little something to like, and there's this, the rapper Nelly. I remember him saying part of the, you know, he was like describing his success story. And he was like, yeah. I would tell myself, I'd wake up. I set an alarm for like four thirty in the morning and I'd wake up and I'd look at the ceiling and I would feel awful. I didn't want to get up. And then he would tell himself, if I can't do this, I can't do anything. Yeah. So just that one little step to get out of bed. If I can do this, uh-huh. then... One step. One step. And I was just like, man, that's pretty good. They, they, I've heard that um, thought follows behavior. And the idea being that it's like there's two levels at which you're defining yourself. There's that deep level of just like, who am I? That's kind of based on sort of notions you have about who you are. Excuse me. Is there a lot of burping on your show, by the way, with beer? I induce a lot of uh, burp, <laughs> whatever you call it. I did notice that in the Apple Store was in the burping category. <laughs> yeah. That's, which was odd, but. Yeah, yeah, they, I mean, that's an algorithm. They just listen to it and just, oop, you ended up in the that's, burp section. If you get more than five burps per episode, it's. So, yeah, so there's the part of you that's like that sense of who you are. I am, you know, I'm Daniel from Tucson and I went to this school and I like these things. But then there's, um, there's the part of your brain that's always defining itself in the moment based mm-hmm. on what you're doing. Yeah. And so if you're in bed, you know, and it's like, I wanted to get up at nine, but it's nine thirty. your brain is defining itself based on the current thing. And so it's like, I'm a lazy sack of shit is what yeah. you'll be saying to yourself. But if you just like put your sneakers on, so like you'll find yourself, okay, I'm like a lazy sack of shit, but you put your sneakers on and you just like, uh, and you get on the road and once you're hitting the road, you're like, I'm a natural athlete, <laughs> you know, like I could, I could probably, if I just worked hard enough, do the Olympics. Like this is, you know, you know what I mean? Like that thought of just, yeah. and I think it's important. That's why it's like, if you're a writer or whatever, to just like sit your ass down and do it because your brain will follow that. Yeah. And you'll Every start to feel better about it. I write something. I rem- I forget how much I enjoy it. Yeah. And then I go, I should just stick with this and do this again. And then it'll be years in between. Yeah. And then I'll write again and do have this, the same process. That's why it's got to be, that's why people will say like, it's got to be a habit. Mm-hmm. Like you just have to schedule it and sit down. Even if you're not writing anything, 
because it's that training your brain yeah. to think of itself and define itself that way. Um, it gets real hard to, and then like my whole life has been thrown up because of the baby. Like, I don't know who the fuck I am anymore. <laughs> like I seriously, I'm thinking like I need to go to therapy or something just to like have somewhere to go to think about this. Like I, so much of my life has been about like, holy shit. I have a child and <laughs> shit to, you know, and in yeah. no time for my own stuff stuff that it's been uh it's like been a really weird couple of years uh are you someone that prior like i'm gonna steer this boat and i'm going down this river and this is where i want my life to be because they tell you that like when you're in you know the assemblies at school you need to work today to get to where you want to be your whole life is told that like if you do this you should end up here and then yeah. you maybe write a letter to yourself hey you at 30 <laughs> this is where i want you to be but then I think as you get older, you kind of realize like even yeah. the best intentions, that boat gets oh, blown yeah. off course. You're better off to just kind of let the breeze blow you, but then maybe you get taken here or there. Right. Like have a direction, but be flexible and go with the, yeah, yeah that's key. Yeah. You don't want to, I think Tom Hanks, I heard him say like, you don't want to be a reed that breaks. You want to be a reed that bends, you know? And it's like, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think that when I was younger, for sure, when I came to LA, mm -hmm. you know, I came out here to, and went to film school and it was just all about ambition and just, you know, like, this is what I want to do with my life and I will do whatever it takes. And then, you know, the reality of how difficult it is to come out here with no money, <laughs> no s financial, you know, uh, safety net and yeah. no, no, no one to help you pay for your career. I mean, this is back in the early 90s. You know, I didn't have parents who would pay for my films or anything like that so it was yeah. just like i had to survive or i'd be homeless like i had to get a job and just the reality of having to work and having to hustle it just i think that i ended up changing my focus a lot of times because certain things stopped becoming stopped feeling within my grasp mm -hmm. you know like oh i wanted to be a director I would have loved to be a director in my 20s. I would not want to do it now, you yeah. know? But at that point, but there was no way to get there because at that time, you know, it was just if you wanted to make a five-minute film, it was going to cost you $30,000, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, you know, where are you going to get that? I tried to, I tried raising my, I had a film that I wrote and I was going to make it and uh, I had $20,000 in credit on my credit cards. I was going to max out my cards. Uh -huh. And then, you know, God bless her, my producer just she made a mistake and didn't get the location permits mm -hmm. you know, we, were, we were literally like three days away from shooting i had the i had all the equipment rented and everything oh. all the yeah and she's like yeah it's gonna be about ten thousand dollars i'm like i don't have ten i can't get ten thousand like yeah. i couldn't get ten i called my grandmother <laughs> and i knew she had ten thousand dollars like in the bank for me for my inheritance yeah i wasn't supposed to know this <laughs> so i called my grandmother i was like hey how's it going um, you know, and I, then I said, I have this film and I'm trying to get $10,000 hoping that it would like ring like, Oh, I have, t this would be so easy. This would be great. I could give it to you now and see you enjoy it and your <laughs> career. But of course she was just, she had this fantasy about like when she died, we would all be grateful to her or something. Yeah. God only knows. And she wouldn't fucking give me a dime. <laughs> wouldn't give me a dime. So it was just, I'm not like, yes, I'm bitter, but I'm not like trying to project bitterness here i'm just saying like that shit happens and you have to readjust and i think that if you can't readjust and be happy with the choice that you make readjusting you're going to be fucking bitter and miserable yeah and that's the trick is like going you know you know what that's okay 
uh, I like writing and I can do that and I'm happy choosing this instead and I don't need to be a director mm-hmm. and honestly that's how I feel like yeah, yeah. Uh, there's so much about directing movies that I hate so it's like oh, you know you know so yeah be- like being able to say like that thing is no longer possible but this other thing is possible and, yeah. and I'm gonna choose that thing mm-hmm. and I'm gonna be happy with that thing and I'm not gonna worry about what I didn't have or couldn't have you know but I think there's something in our culture that makes it feel like you're like in the back of your head like yeah but am I am I quitting you know like oh, is there yeah. anything worse than someone who who quits or someone who doesn't have the ambition yeah you know like all oh, those people oh they're so sad and it's just like why you know People would always say to me, and I found it so strange, but I get it. I mean, it's the natural thing of like, hey, man, no matter what happens, you can always say you gave it a go. And I thought, like, that's so sad. You'd almost (laughs) rather, like, I remember seeing a comedian, this guy, uh, I think, yeah, I don't want to say his name, but he was like, (laughs) he told his whole long setup, and then he's like, so my mom was wrong. I'm not a loser. I'm a failure. (laughs) And I remember like the crowd really laughed at it, but I was like, that's a really great joke, but it it must just sting him every time to tell that. Like, yeah, I mean, you went out there and tried and gave it a go. But I don't know, um, Dana Gould, when he gave his uh, like kind of keynote speech at Montreal was kind of like just being in it. That's doing it. You know, whether you're Steven Spielberg or you're someone that just went to film school and like oh, this isn't exactly for me. I could just right. be homeless and striving at it and be a guy in a coffee shop that's always scribbling along and angry, like, oh, that guy got a three-picture deal. Blah. Yeah, Why? totally. You know? Yeah. And I think for me, I, I realized, you know, I never liked the popular movies that's not why I wanted to be a filmmaker. Right. You get caught up in that because that's the success stories, right? Mm-hmm. Especially at USC where it's like all about George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and, you know, Robert Zemeckis and, you know, this sort of cult of Spielberg, which is just insane. Mm-hmm. And I fucking, I, he's fine. You know, like to me, yeah, I like DT, you know, I just, yeah. I, it, it's it never spoke to me, his movies. I think that there's something kind of cloying and, you know, uh, manipulative and just, I don't know. It's not what I like. It's like, yeah. I liked different kind of movies, but those are not commercial and the kinds of stories I wanted to tell. I wrote a I was working for a production company and uh, the big producers and uh, wrote a script and you know the, I mean, these guys produced Saving Private Ryan and stuff and they're big producers and I was so excited I wrote it with a, my friend at the time he's still a friend <laughs> I don't know why he said was, that that's like a Mitch Hedberg joke I used to do drugs <laughs> yeah, I still do but I used to too <laughs> right so I, did, I haven't seen him in a long time but anyway so he uh, I gave it to them and I was like you know like I felt so proud of this script you know and, and uh, in hindsight I'm sure it was so rough you know yeah. I, was, I was yeah I was 23 or something and you know the script was all about this coal miner or copper miner who whose friends get buried in the in the mine mm-hmm. and he has to like fight against the mining company and he ends up going down and rescuing his his buddies but it's like a focus on just the his relationship with his wife and this this struggle with the mining company and the workers and stuff mm-hmm. like this and kind of like mate one if you've ever seen that but like yeah. a little bit more of a, a little bit of an action element to it. No way would anybody ever make this movie. It was so, uh, it was like a small movie with a huge budget, <laughs> you know, like it's like a small indie movie with a, with an enormous hundred million dollar budget. It's going to be a hundred miles out in the <laughs> desert at a mine site. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 uh, I think at a certain point I realized like the kind of thing I'm into, uh, you, you know, I can still like, 
I can still satisfy that itch in other ways. I don't need to try to be Spielberg, which is not even something I ever wanted to be anyway. You know what I mean? So uh, I think once I once you sort of like have that opportunity to to figure out what it is you're you know what it is you love like as a comic you say well, what is this that that makes me want to do this is it a desire to be famous and have a sitcom and do that or is it is there something else that's satisfying if you can do that then isn't that success isn't that the point um because yeah, it's the one thing you can sort of control you know yeah i mean to a certain degree you you with music you can put it out and out and out yeah comedy you your instrument is an audience in a lot of ways so right you, you do have to like have a place to at least collection of bodies that are willing to face in your direction and listen to your crap <laughs> right, that you that's to true say. yeah yeah so there's there's some there are limitations there to a certain degree but yeah you can like stick with it i asked a musician friend of mine years ago like you know is there anyone whose career you really want to emulate or you could trade and he goes oh just mine but more successful <laughs> and like when we, you and i were talking about the this season of uh westworld yeah and i thought the episode that really probably resonated with everybody in this current situation that we live in where reality doesn't feel real yeah. was the take my name with you when you go or whatever it was oh the Akechita yeah. yeah where he's just like I'm in the wrong world this isn't the world and I yeah. feel that way all the time where like I look at stuff that I like or things that I've made and I like re-examine it years later and go maybe it's just bad maybe I was too close to it then and I'll look at it and go I still like it yeah like, I just live in a world where the majority of people say like no thanks and you have to just accept that and go, okay this wasn't the design this paradigm of reality where I'm the chosen one right. and I'll read I was reading a story today about and then uh, out of nowhere this kid ended up with like 10 million Instagram followers and I was like and he makes all these videos and I thought I got kind of excited, like, maybe it'll be something so atypical and so bizarre that I'll go, oh, that's how minds are thinking these days, uh-huh. and it'll really inspire me or be one of those things like, where does this come up? Where does this come from? How is this person? And I went and looked at the page. It's just a lot of pictures of their own face and them just doing standard Instagram things. And I was Why? like, <laughs> it's just the thing of like the finger that comes down and goes, this one, we all just, for whatever reason, it has the thing about it. I mean, that's the Malcolm Gladwell book. What was it uh, about the 10,000 hours? I'm blanking on it. Oh, uh, not Blink. David versus Goliath? Which one has uh, 10,000 hours? Yeah, it's it's Outliers. Outliers, yes. In, in, In one of the takeaways i got from that is just how much it's just a matter of chance we we have this this sort of romantic idea of the genius in this culture you know of like they just through hard work and their sort of particular genius were able to become billionaires you know Mm -hmm. and it's like you know whether it's bill gates or whoever and the reality of it, it so much of it is just they were born in the right place at the right time i mean if it wasn't him it would have been someone else because yeah. that it was just circumstances yes who they were factored in but but there's a million people just like that that don't become bill gates yeah because they weren't born into a community that happened to have the very first computers years before other people and had the opportunity to use it and get ahead of everybody. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's like, or like Elon Musk recently has, by the way, I'd like to thank Elon for the ride here <laughs> to the space cave. Nice. You flew yeah. over on a Tesla? Yeah, I took the Tesla that's been in orbit. <laughs> hey, nice. Yeah, I he do offers that rides. too, very quick. It's beam my consciousness into it, <laughs> beam it back. Great down. ride. Yeah. <laughs> So thanks, Elon. Um, and like, I think his dad owned like an emerald mine or something. I mean, he's trying to act like he's this, you know, bootstrapping dude. And it's like, motherfucker, like you ha- stop 
with this nonsense. Yeah, I saw this <laughs> interview with um, Frank Black from the Pixies mm-hmm. early on, real early. Like one of my favorite stories was that he, you know, wore khaki pants and a collared shirt big chubby guy and he stopped a friend of mine told me this story who knows if it's lore or it's real but he went to this punk club in like the middle of you know like Kansas City or something like that and he's like hey can I play a set and they looked him up and down and kind of like you can go on at the end man when there's like a loadout or whatever do you have much gear no nah, I just got this and then he went and just was crazy Frank Black punk rock yeah. and everyone turned whoa you know like the place was electrified and so I think that spirit that's there is great but sometimes people try are not comfortable with just that being the the main focus. It has to have a backstory that like, well, it sucks if I say my dad owned an emerald mine. I should kind of change the narrative. Like, you're a genius. It doesn't matter where you came from. You're a genius. Right. And Frank Black, they were like, you know, the Pixies, how'd you guys get started? And he goes, oh, my dad. He just loaned us a bunch of money. Yeah, and, then, and the thing is, it's not, I don't believe it's taking anything away from those people to say to acknowledge that they had help and that they were lucky because it's it's not saying it's only luck. Yeah. It's just saying that, and this is the part that people have a problem with, is like, you're not as special as you think you are. Right. You know? I've had so many breaks and I'm not a household name by, I mean, not even close. And right. I, for me, if I were to someone to pretend like I'm all sour grapes, you know, that ever shook, that'd be insane. I've had breaks. People get good luck they have breaks there's so much more that goes into it yeah and i know i can i can see people thinking that this sounds like bitterness or sour grapes and it's like that's not actually how i see it like i i just think that it, it it's i think Bukow, I, don't, I don't want to be that guy that's quoting bukowski <laughs> but it's like Bukowski had a thing where he was like sometimes the light of history just shines on a person mm-hmm. but that doesn't make that person you know inherently better than anybody else or you know yes you know frank, frank black like that guy is an artistic genius. I love his fucking music. But there's like tons of Frank Blacks out there who just never had this certain set of uh, circumstances line up for them to become. I think we live in a culture that says, you'll eventually make it. Yeah. Like if you have that thing, you'll eventually make it. And I, I don't know that I necessarily agree. I think there's some a lot of things that can pile up against a person, you know, drug addiction or poverty or whatever can really like prevent someone from going into full bloom. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that getting back to the idea of like ambition, it's like we tend to throw those people away, but I and and, and venerate these other ones. And I just I don't know. I, I guess I've had a reevaluation in the last ten years of my life where it's like I I I'll appreciate those people for what they do, but I also, you know, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to overly worship them either. There's a thi- there's probably like a, a natural thinning of it that's. It's real, you know. Mm-hmm. Spielberg is because film is still a relatively new medium. We can't yeah. look at it like uh, most people now can't name their favorite one or certainly top three Greek sculptor <laughs> people. You know, like right. you know, oh, this is my that's my sculptor guy. Yeah, uh, Hermionidas, <laughs> y- Yamantopoulos. You all talk about Diphroides? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's very few people that can do that, and yet at the time, like oh, these strokes, these things, this thing. It yeah. just depends on what we unearth yeah. and how we, as a whole different culture, interpret it. Where they may have been like, no, 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 no. This was just the most local. It was in the town square. You found it. The real stuff was hit. You'll never. You didn't even dig it up. It's still right, hidden. Right. That was our guy. That's who we all loved. Right. So there's so many like kind of alchemy elements to it. I think that mm-hmm. you know Spielberg being one that people do. They start to you get up there and then people start tearing at you a little bit. They start picking at you. And go, wait, wait, wait. Eh, come on. Did you see well, Ready Player One. Ugh. Well, Spielberg. Spielberg's an interesting one because I think that people assume 
that he's one of those filmmakers that in a hundred years everyone's still going to know Steven Spielberg movies. Mm-hmm. But if you think about like the what makes it art wise, you know, like what is what are people going to want to watch? in a hundred years yeah he probably has a a couple movies that would be in that group but not necessarily because and not even to his own fault but so much of what he did was copied over and over and over and over again that that it doesn't it's hard for me to look at his his movies and think of there any one in particular that i'd want to now this is me yeah but there's not there aren't many that i want to watch again Man, I went and watched E.T. at the Hollywood Bowl a few years ago. Yeah. You forget how much Elliot screams in this high-pitched, <laughs> annoying, like, shut up! Just, just, you can keep screaming, but this is like being, right. it's like having a toddler in the backseat. It was so annoying. Really? It was like, I remember loving E.T. Who didn't? It was I just know, such I cried. Phenomenal. But as an adult later, when maybe we were just a little bit more sensitive to audio things, yeah. and whatever else it may be, it was, it was jarring. It was, I, I think a lot of his movies tend to speak to the moment and you know his movies speak to a kind of suburban uh, loneliness a lot of times and kids from broken families and that's important mm-hmm. but i mean if you're talking about the long term you know i'm not sure which movie is the one that's like man that was a great fucking movie like i think jaws still holds up yeah maybe jaws i mean and I, i'm not even saying there won't be i'm just i none pop out to me jaws is one i'd have to watch again jaws <laughs> is a little silly but it's fun yeah and, and just, I just think as a director, I don't know that much about film, but I yeah. do like watching it. I've heard, you know, over the years you hear things like, you don't reveal the monster until this period mm. or just the way they craft the suspense. And I think a lot of that was kind of new territory. Yeah. And so th- when I watch it, I do feel like, boy, it feels like they had a real small budget and they pulled this off in a really great way. Well, Jaws is an important film. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's important because it, gave birth to the blockbuster era you know i mean it's yeah historically an important film and people i'm sure will, but i don't know yeah i don't know it's kind of a it one of those conversations where it's like uh, <laughs> really you know it's yeah. like it's funny because once you talk about it it's really like does anyone really care about anything other than what they personally like well there's you know? the god i know i always want to say richard marshall the guy who was originally slated to direct the island of dr moreau with With brando with brando and and that whole story is richard stanley that's Uh his name it's a if you haven't seen that documentary it's phenomenal what's it called mysterious case of richard stanley and the island of dr moreau or something it's a long kind of convoluted name like that but the documentary is just about like how he was selected the studio liked him everyone liked him brando had to approve it because he was such a big star at the time and he went not only do i approve this guy he's the only guy i work for and then the budget just got out of hand they were getting rained on constantly and it was like extending the shoot and they were like there's nothing we can do like we're on we're in indonesia or wherever it's raining constantly and i don't want to give too much away but like essentially what happens is the suits fly in and they just go oh the director doesn't know what he's doing but he was so meticulous and so i want this to look this way i want the lion guy to look exactly like this and this prosthetic is wrong so let's take a little more time and they were like let's just get someone in here who can crack the whip and get it done they fired him from his own movie and that's where brando went kind of crazy because he realized like there's too many cooks there's like eight guys that flew in on planes and they fired this guy that knew what he was doing yeah so he started demanding all these ridiculous things like get me a little person that looks and dresses just like me <laughs> all these bizarre things oh i think it'd be funny if i played the piano and he had a little you know like he was up he was on just the- fucking with him <laughs> he was just messing with him have you read brando's autobiography no uh, highly recommend okay yeah it's really it's a fast read and you get a sense of just how kind of playful 
you know, and, and mischievous he was. Uh, I remember he was talking about realizing that the actor has ultimate control because you could be doing a scene. I think he realized it on Mutiny on the Bounty oh, okay. where he was having some sort of disagreement with the director and the director wanted him to do a scene a particular way. He's like, as the actor, you really don't ever have to do it any way other than how you want to do it. You know, <laughs> and so you could do a, a thousand takes and just be like, okay, I got it, and then just do it the same way you're going to do it, and like, no, cut, cut, cut. All right, um, I'm sorry. Can you do it? Oh yeah, uh huh. And then just not do it. And he, he like he taught that to other actors and found that he had this power to sort of steer the movie the direction that he wanted to steer. Interesting. I mean, that you need that from that if you're these iconic figures that they do have something whether it's a crazy narcissism or just like the vision within it mm. but th- that story ends with uh, Richard Stanley just leaving film he just decided like he did herds goats now and it's just like I like the the <laughs> like almost cliche thing people talk about like I'm just moving away from it all and I'm herding goats he essentially does that and then uh, a friend of mine just gave me this comic called the incel incel I-N-C-A-L I think that's how you say it. Huh. By this guy Joe Dorowski. Not the uh, involuntary celibates. <laughs> no, what is that? Oh, you not heard of this? No. The, you, the dude that killed that killed all those people up in Canada with the van. He was part of this. It's like this community of guys that can't get laid, and they get together online and hate on women. <laughs> this is not. And bad. it's like turned into this violent. Thing. Good lord. Yeah, like the guy in Santa Barbara, University UC Santa Barbara. Yeah, yeah. He's like their their icon. Oh, good lord. It's it's really ugly. Anyway, sorry. Go Terrible. Uh, the, so anyway, the, but they call uh, themselves incels. Incel. Oh, no, it's not them. It's not it's I N C A L and I when you're reading it like I wish this had a a title that I knew it was like this is called Incol or whatever. I right. think it's Incel, but but Jodorowsky, Jodorowsky, my friend just gave me the book and gave me the brief rundown on this whole s- story, but I thought it was so fascinating that uh, I tried to put together a movie and they were, it was very similar to the Richard Stanley right. movie. And they, they had uh, Mobius, who's a phenomenal artist. Yeah, and Mobius is great. Fantastic. And he illustrated this whole comic book. So they left the film world by basically being told like, yeah, we'll make that movie. Oh no, we can't do it. And they were just so like, ah, film's old. And they Maybe. wrote this comic series that's, phenomenal um, I'm surprised I haven't, I'm, I'm surprised I haven't heard of it it's yeah. so good I mean the, obviously the illustrations are phenomenal but the story itself is really interesting and, and pertinent to things that are happening currently just really the, yeah it's really really great and you just feel like I guess artists just find a way like Richard Stanley said I'm done but they just went okay well you won't let us show it in moving pictures we'll do it this way I mean that's kind of what I'm doing <laughs> yeah I mean I um, just randomly got the opportunity to write comics at a certain point and then I wrote some, you know, some stuff for Marvel. And then I ended up writing this graphic novel with a fr- some friends. And cool. Um, and that was a, a while ago. And then I sort of stepped away from that. I had an idea uh, for a story that I wanted to do. And I put a lot of work into it. But then I just, um, I don't know, I had some depression issues and, you know, things happened. But uh, I got my arms around that. And, and then just like within the last six months or so, just started thinking about this story idea. And was, this is like seven years ago that I started working on this thing. And it's like, I really feel like I got to make this. Like, mm-hmm. it's just still feels so like I still have things to say about this particular topic. And it's not the mining thing. It's a different one. No. <laughs> Cause <laughs> that, that like, like conjures a lot of cool visual stuff. I mean, it just the little bit you told me about it. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I could see that. I yeah. Like that. I mean, that was cool. I, I, it was, um, not engineeringly, 
plausible. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I basically had the guy, I, me and my brain burner, had it so that like the, the mountain collapsed on these miners, but they were in a pocket inside mm-hmm. the mine and the mining company was going in in a, in a way that was really like unsafe yeah and so uh, our main character went into the old mine and just drilled <laughs> you can't do that <laughs> he just like drilled a hole up this i wanted it to happen so we just had it happen <laughs> <laughs> no this one is um this is sort of my how would i put it it, it would be like masterpiece. my masterpiece <laughs> it'd be my take on uh, a revenge story, kind of the my version of the Count of Monte Cristo, sort of. Yeah. Um, which is one of my all-time favorite adventure stories, but so um, I feel I have something to say about it that hasn't I haven't really seen and and uh, in a in a setting that um, I think is really fun. I'll tell you, and and I won't get into specifics, but I'll tell you, you know, this is the kind of shit you have to deal with in the creative arts. So I I. St- I started ramping up again. I found an artist and he's so fucking great. And he's been, um, you know, we've been working on some concept art for it and, and designing characters and things. And, and uh, I wrote like a teaser. So the idea would be like, cause I got to pay him. He's a professional artist. I don't want to like have him work for free and, and you got to pay to produce the book. And so I'm, I'm going to want to try to raise money somehow. And I figured, well, the best way to do that is we'll do like a teaser, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, so that's what we're putting together is like a teaser. And the book has a concept. I won't say what it is, but it's like, a, it had a title and a, and a, and a, and a hook it's not all about the hook, but the hook is, is what the easiest thing to sell it on. Yeah. Even though I think ultimately the, it's not as important as it seems. And so he's, he's off working on it and he's, you know, I don't hear from him for a few weeks and I, and I reach out to him and say, Hey, how you doing now? What's up? He's like, hey, have you heard about this? And he sends me this link to this comic that's coming out this month. And it is almost the same title. <laughs> the the thing that is like the kind of hook, again, not, a very small part of the story, but it's the thing that I was going to sell it on yeah. to try to get you in without spoiling the whole story, is, the, is exactly the jumping off point for this story. Like wow. it is exactly what, and it's like all of that novelty of that idea is fucking gone because this other book is coming out by a big publisher and you just go mother fuck like <laughs> god damn it you know like i've been working on this for eight fucking years you know but uh there's an old story that um michael jackson's producer you know someone would say like he would call them at four o'clock in the morning hey we gotta go to the studio and record this thing and they go can we, can we just sleep and tackle it in the morning he goes no if i don't attack this idea right now god's gonna give it to prince and I think it's such a funny thing, but like that does happen. It There's happens. So many stories like that where uh, you, you gotta you, fucking be quick. And my my old writing partner, another guy, you know, used to annoy me, but he was right. <laughs> it was annoying because I'm like someone who takes his time, mm-hmm. which is not great. He's always like, "We know times of the essence. You got to do it. You got to do it." And it's like you do. You got to jump on it. You got to get these things out there. I'm not too hard on myself. I am pretty hard on myself, but uh, for not getting it out there when I could have. Yeah, but. At the same time, you and maybe I'm wrong to to be doing this, but I, I feel like you know, even if it's the same jumping off point, it's going to be a different story, and it's gonna ha- it's going to be a different book. It yeah. just is, you know. Like I, you know, and his, and that's not even putting theirs down. I haven't read it. Like theirs could be brilliant, but it's different. And they're what's like Armageddon and uh, Deep Impact. Well, yeah, and, and in time, you know, if I can just, I think back to what we were saying before. It it, it, it it's like 
but what is it that, that I want to be doing? And what I want to be doing is telling this story. Now, if I don't tell the story because some other guy in another city has told something that's similar, that doesn't seem to be making a whole lot of sense. Yeah. You know, why don't I get to tell the story just because of weird circumstances, you know, in some sense of marketing? That well, I have some additional thoughts on that. Would you like to take a quick break and then sure. continue? Yeah. That was just the tip of the iceberg. Just part one. Part two, we get further into it. There's even some bonus material because we really, really got to chatting. So I hope you come back and listen to part two. I really like chatting with Daniel. We even talked a little bit after we'd concluded all that uh, recorded podcasting audio and talked about how nice it was that um, even though we're uh, you know in the same room chatting into microphones fairly regularly at their house, uh, nice to do it with a little bit more of a one-on-one aspect really get into a lot of things. So uh, if you're into that sort of stuff, which I assume you are, if you listen to this show, try it out. You might like it to steal a line from Daniel. Okay, let's get out of here. Thanks to Dan for putting the show together. Thanks to those of you who do support the show on Patreon. That's where you can find things like the bonus episode with Daniel coming up later this month and other little goodies as well. Uh, here's some some music to get you out of here. This is from a a Los Angeles artist named Neil Francis. It's called Ask Me Anything. I hope you like it. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. Hey, friend, I think there's a chance You like to do the things that I like to do